0: When I ask millennials what they're kind of nervous about or afraid of for the church in their generation, I hear some common kinds of answers. Not just here at Cornerstone, but in my last couple churches, I've gathered millennials, and I've actually gathered multiple generations at different times to talk about how they perceive the church in their generation, what their dreams are for their church in their generation, and what their fears or what they're nervous about. And um, when I when I've gathered millennials. I've heard the same thing here at Cornerstone as other places. Two answers come back on a fairly regular basis. That um, millennials are concerned or nervous that their generation of the church will become complacent and cautious. Complacent by just focusing on everything else in their lives and making life work and fitting the church around the edge and fitting Jesus in the margins and just kind of going on with life and cautious or safe by calculating every decision, every challenge, everything they read in the scriptures, everything they hear in a, in a message, calculating whether it will succeed or not succeed, how it will make them feel, or whether they'll look good. And so I've heard millennials say they're concerned about complacent, cautious Christianity. The line that we're looking at in our new vision this morning is addressed to that because the good news is we don't have to just kind of have this nervousness and this fear about how the church might go, go sideways on our watch in our generation. We can actually intentionally strategize ways for that not to happen, ways for us not to get tripped up in, in a generation that just kind of goes along for the ride but doesn't engage Christ enough To truly extend his kingdom. So let me show you again. um, This is um, to remind you, this is our church mission, um, and the reason that we keep bringing this up to you is we want this to become second nature for us. We've already had talks through each of these. Cornerstone's mission, Cornerstone Church of Boston equips one another for a transforming life with Jesus, invests in a loving community, and seeks compassionate justice in the world. That's the umbrella, overarching. That is our mission, all right, And we've talked through that and looked at scriptures for each of those lines. And now here's our vision. And our vision gets more specific. Okay, This is what is unique to us as a congregation here in Boston um, as we gather. We envision Cornerstone Church or Cornerstone to be a church without walls. Boldly following Jesus even beyond our comfort zones. Sharing our lives together while breaking down barriers. Danny talked about that last week. Inviting other people to encounter the love of Jesus, what we just talked about with Brandon, and we'll talk um, in the message next week, and serving the marginalized in our society. So, my talk this morning is on the second line there boldly following Jesus even beyond our comfort zones. I want to talk about combating complacency and comfort and caution in our spiritual lives, which means that I want to talk about things like courage and bravery. I want to talk about confidence and openly living our Christianity before the world because I want to suggest to you that the antidote to complacency and caution is a courageous, bold faith in our God. The antidote to complacency and caution in any generation is a bold, courageous faith in our God. And so as I was been thinking about this this week and just kind of rolling it over and trying to explore this whole idea, I was reminded, I didn't quite expect this, but I came across those who, who argued pretty persuasively that we were created for adventure. We were not created just to be safe. We were not created just to succeed in the world, to, to make enough money to raise a family and send our kids to good schools. We were not created for caution and safety. We actually created in the image of God with the, the imprint of God upon us. We as humans are created with a longing for adventure. Even if we kind of like to, to read a book at home in front of the fireplace, if we do that too much, we go out looking for adventure right? When our life becomes too predictable, we try to find a vacation that will be interesting, and we'll make the vacations more and more extreme if our life gets more and more boring. And here's how we know that we are created for adventure. We get bored, right? The reason we get bored is because we were created to to have a courageous life on the edge for God. And when we don't have that, Something inside of us hungers for it. And I don't know about you, but here's how it works for Bill Johnson. When Bill Johnson gets bored, he acts out and sins. I don't like that, but I've realized that when everything's predictable and everything's flowing, I get bored. If I can't find a vacation, I'll find a sin. Because I'm seeking to to scratch this itch that longs for a significance and a, a challenge in my life. So, Not only is a bold faith, boldly following Jesus beyond our comfort zones, not only is it the answer and antidote to our complacency and caution, it might very well be the antidote to some of our sins because we'll have a greater yes that we are yearning for so that we'll say no to anything that keeps us from it. This is, by the way, a biblical theme. Remember, some of you remember Joshua and what God said to Joshua and to us. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God's message to one of his leaders and us. Be strong and be courageous. In the New Testament, boldness on the part of Jesus' followers were the way that those who didn't follow Jesus knew that they'd been with Jesus. And so we come across Acts chapter 4. And the Jewish leaders have examined John and Peter. And here's what we read, that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. One of the marks of being with Jesus is a boldness in our faith. Philippians 1, verse 20, Paul says, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in me. With full courage. So, I want to, no place in the Scriptures do we have, have such a, a mountain of evidence that we are created for boldness and faith as we have in in Hebrews chapter 11. So in just a minute, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. But before we go there, I want to introduce to you um, Gary Haugen. And this is going to be his picture up here. Gary Haugen, um, actually a graduate of Harvard, and then he went to the University of Chicago Law School. um, And he knows something about courage and boldness. Um, Let me give you some idea of what he did. After he graduated from law school, he went to South Africa and battled apartheid. He worked with Desmond Tutu, Tutu and was part of, let me find it here, he was the executive director of the National Initiative for Political Reform and Racial Reconciliation. So here's a guy, Christian guy, finishes law school, all right, he's got pretty good degrees, he could have made a lot of money by doing something else, but he goes to where there is injustice in South Africa to confront apartheid. You'd think that, that he'd done enough, right, that he'd come back home to take up a law practice and and um, get rich. But after South Africa, he worked for the Lawyers' Committee for Human Rights in New York City. Then after that, he did... Ca- imagine, imagine this. He conducted a structural examination of the Philippine government's prosecution of human rights abuses committed by their military and police. He went to the Philippines and gathered evidence against the military and police for human rights violations. After that, in the, that was all in the 1980s. In the 1990s, he worked for the Department of Justice. He was assigned to the United Nations Center for Human Rights. Here's what he did there. He went to Rwanda and investigated the genocide that happened there. Um, it's said that Haugen developed the investigative strategy, protocols, and field methodology for gathering eyewitness testimony and physical evidence from nearly 100 mass graves, and massacre sites across Rwanda. Here's a Christian person who knows a thing or two about a bold faith. In 1999, he founded International Justice Mission. Many of us know it as IJM. And um, that is a mission that, or part, what, what they say on their website, IJM partners with local authorities to rescue victims of violence, bring criminals to justice, restore survivors, and strengthen Justice systems around the world. In 2012, he was honored with the State Department's Trafficking in Persons Hero Award, which is the highest award that our government gives to people fighting human trafficking. I introduce Gary Haugen to you because I'm going to give you some quotes as we walk through um, actually Hebrews chapter um, 11. Um, but let me give you an idea. But it, he's written a number of really good books. Probably the one to start, if you're looking for something to read, is his book, Just Courage. The subtitle is Expectations for Restless Christians. Um, He's got a number of other ones that are really, really good, but start with this one. To give you a flavor of how he writes and talks, listen to these two quotes. He says, deep within all of us, there is a yearning to be brave. And like all of our deepest, truest, and best yearnings, it comes from how we were made, Courage, the power to do the right things even when it's scary and hard, resonates deeply with the original shape of our souls. Elsewhere, he writes, there must be more to the Christian life, more than church each Sunday and waving to my neighbors and giving some clothes to Goodwill when I go through my closet each spring. These aren't bad things, of course, but they're safe and comfortable and easy. And there's a reason they're not satisfying our desire for something more significant and meaningful. We are created by God for adventure. And nowhere do we see that we were created for adventure more than Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is a long chapter. It's known as the Hall of Fame, or, or the Faith Hall of Fame in the New Testament. There's some who, say, who argue that it's the most read chapter of the New Testament after 1 Corinthians 13. Um, if you're not familiar with it, um, we're actually going to read through it. I'm not going to be able to comment on every verse. and every. I mean, there are like seven pe- 17 people named in the first section of living a bold faith. And then he says, and there's so much more that I could say. So we're not going to be able to look at all of those, but I want to read through, and we're going to read through the entire chapter, and I'm just going to pause at certain points and share with you lessons about bold faith. And so that, you, so that we're completely clear here, we're not talking about saving faith. All right? There is saving faith by which we are justified. All right? Saving faith is a one and done. We step over the line of faith. We, we go from darkness into light. We become members of the family of God. The faith, and that's, that's an important uh, faith in scriptures. There's actually more in the New Testament about living faith. What happens after we step over the line of faith and we are justified? There are many, many scriptures that talk about the kind of faith life that we're supposed to walk after that point. And my prayer is that these these truths or these lessons about faith from Hebrews 11 will start to stir within us something deep to shake us out of any complacency and calculated Christianity. My prayer is actually that some of us will make some bold decisions to do some different things in our lives and do some things differently in our lives because of these examples of faith. So, starting with Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, people of old received their commendation, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the first lesson, coming from the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11, bold faith, a faith that boldly follows Jesus beyond our comfort, bold faith lives by what is unseen. Bold faith lives by by what is unseen. Faith is the conviction of things unseen. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. The reason that there is a power that comes into our lives is because we see God. Who is active in the world? We see God who is a God of justice. We see a God of love. We see a God of holiness. We see a God who is constantly working together, all things to, for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. As we walk through our lives, if we see that God, if we live by what we do not see, it pulls us out of the morass of the world. Because here's the contrast if we don't live by what is unseen, then this week, we get just destroyed by the fact that 284 men and boys were killed in Mosul. We get destroyed by the fact that human beings are being used as, as shields in a war zone. We get destroyed by the fact that, that sexual trafficking is going on actively in our world, in our city. We get destroyed by the unjust world in which we live. As long as that's all we see. But as long as we can see our God, who reigns, our God who loves, our God who is at work, then we are not destroyed. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians four, he says, "We do not lose heart because we look to the things that are, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So think about it. Noah, God says. There's going to be a lot of rain in the flood. Build a boat. Before there's a single raindrop, Noah believes God and builds a boat. And then we come to Abraham. God says, just leave your homeland and just start going. I'll let you know when to stop. And Abraham, because he focused on his unseen God, who he knew he could trust, he picked up his family. And they traveled and became immigrants and first-generation immigrants in the Promised Land. Um, After seminary, um, I worked for a year at Eastern Mennonite University in student life. It was actually a really fun job because I got to play all the games that I always wanted to play all the way through college, but I was working too hard. So um, I was student life um, um, and had a charge of a dormitory. At the end of that year the vice president for student life was going to get his doctorate for two years and was going to come back. And they offered me the job. They said, would you like to be vice president of student life at, at the university? And, um, and I thought, that's a pretty cool opportunity. We had applied for some churches and hadn't heard anything back, so I accepted the position. And then a week after I accepted it, I got a phone call from a church in Honduras in Tegucigalpa that said, we would like you to come as our next pastor. Now, If I walked by sight, I would not have gone to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, second poorest country in the hemisphere. We still had to boil our water or else you got sick. And they were on the verge of war with El Salvador. But I talked with some good Christian mentors, and they said, Bill, this is what you are called to do. And if I'd been walking by sight, I would have taken the safe job, the prestigious job in the university. And my life wouldn't be anything like what it has become because of that. Just imagine how the world can be different depending on whether we in this room opt for safety or courage. Gary Haugen has this to say. I don't know if it's up there on the screen. God has a plan to help bring justice to the world, and his plan is us. We'll never do it unless we keep our eyes on our unseen God. What will your faith in God embolden you to do in your career, in your workplace, at your campus, and in your life and in your generation? All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. In verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So a second lesson, bold faith pleases God. Bold faith pleases God. And and we've got to recognize that God doesn't, in in, um, Hebrews 11, God doesn't commend lukewarm, lazy, lethargic faith. God recommends only bold faith. So we've got to understand this scripture correctly, that bold faith pleases God. And until we've gotten to that level of courage, we are not yet able to to be commended by our God. Without bold faith, it is impossible for us to please God. So once again, the words of Gary Haugen. Here's a choice, one choice that our Heavenly Father wants us to understand as Christians. And he says, and I believe this is the choice of our age. Do we want to be brave or safe? Gently, lovingly, our Heavenly Father wants us to know we simply cannot be Both. Only a bold faith will be commended by God. Hebrews 11, 7 and 8. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So lesson number three. Bold faith is proved by obedience. Bold faith is proved by obedience. The the people in, in, in Hebrews 11 didn't just agree with God. They didn't even just believe God. They actually acted on what God said. Long before anything that they could see anything. They acted solely on the fact that God said it is this way. And they said therefore I will do this. Bold faith is proved by our obedience. Um, The truth is that we um, we don't believe something merely by saying we believe it. We don't believe something merely by singing that we believe it. We don't even necessarily believe something when we believe we believe it. The way we know we believe something is we act upon it. Bold faith is proof by obedience. And if we don't have obedience that we can show, then probably there's a gap and a lacking in our faith. So Gary Haugen says, God is inviting all of us on his great costly expedition of transformation in the world. But we must respond. Are we coming? Or are we saying? And elsewhere he writes, there is an awesome God of justice ready to move in power if you will respond in obedience. The results are up to God. The obedience is up to us. Where is God asking you to obey him courageously in your life right now? A person to talk to. Something that you're supposed to do in your, on your campus or in your workplace. Maybe to spend a year signing up with international justice mission or some other effort that is accomplishing God's purposes. Bold faith is proved by obedience. Verses 9 to 16. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he didn't want to live in a campground his whole life, okay? Um, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, I always feel badly for Abraham, and him as good as dead, (laughs) therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear, they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they could have gone back. They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Lesson number four. Bold faith has a bigger dream for a better future. Abraham had a bigger dream than just staying in Ur and raising up another generation of his family. He had a bigger dream that God could do something greater. And so he picked up and became an immigrant. In verse 10, it says Abraham was looking forward to the city whose designer and builder was God. He had a bigger dream for a better future. Verse 11, by by faith, Sarah received the power to conceive. She had a dream that she could have a child, even though she had been barren. Verse 14 says the people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. And verse 16 says... As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Pity the life that can only see what's in front of them. And how glorious to live a Christian life where we always have a bigger dream for a better future. We have a bigger dream for a better future for our college campuses. We have a bigger dream for a better future for our our workplaces. We have a bigger dream for a better future for our friendships and for our marriages and for our families and for our world. We are never content with the way it is. We always want it to become more like God wants it to be. And that dream will energize us to accomplish great things for God if we will pursue the dream. If we are complacent and cautious, then we'll just deal with the cards that we're handed But God wants us each to have a bigger dream for a greater future. Dreams like ending extreme poverty in this generation. Dreams like combating sexual trafficking. We probably can't eradicate it, but we can certainly reduce it dramatically. Dreams to overcome injustice wherever it shows up. Dreams to treat every person As created in the image of God without discrimination in any way, dreams to, um, I already said that one, bold faith. God has called us to contribute, dreams for the common good. God has called us to contribute to the good of our human race, every single one of us. And if we just are looking out for the good of ourselves and our friends and our church and our people, that's not good enough. God wants for us a bigger dream for a greater future. So can I challenge you? I want to dare you to dream big dreams. Because one of the problems is we have a tendency as human beings to dream dreams that are too puny for God and too puny for ourselves. And I want to challenge you, dare to dream great dreams. And then strangle other interests in your life so that you can devote yourself that those dreams might become true through the power of God in you. All right, verses 17, 28. Long passage, um, and then we'll get to, we just have a couple more. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By the way, that's his obedience. Um, Abraham, when he is tested, offered, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, God did, or Abraham did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. They weren't going to leave for four centuries, but by faith, Joseph gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of god than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he considered the reproach of christ greater wealth than all the treasures of egypt for he was looking to the reward by faith he left egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as him as seeing him who is invisible by faith he kept the passover and sprinkle the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What are you afraid of with a bold faith? Because lesson number five is bold faith overcomes fear, which means we probably need to vulnerably share what are our fears so that we can courageously bring them before the Lord. Because bold faith overcomes fear our fears. You realize how free we are when we aren't afraid of anything? We can't be intimidated. We won't back down. When we do not have fear, we can accomplish anything that God places before us. So what are you afraid of? Afraid you're going to fail? Afraid you're going to look silly? Afraid that somehow you're going to lose respect of people around you? What are you afraid of when it comes to bold faith? Moses would rather have been mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Israel. Can I tell you that the blessings of Christ on our lives, when we boldly trust in him, will be greater than anything we will ever give up or that will pass us by. So at one of the Willow Leadership Summits, Willow Creek Leadership Summits, a number of years ago, Gary Haugen spoke. It's the first time I actually heard him speak, and this comes from from his talk there. He says, If my life of following Jesus doesn't feel dangerous, then maybe I've got to check to see if it's really Jesus I'm following. I have been praying, he says, to be liberated from safe bets. I want to avoid having been on the trip but missed the adventure. I'm just curious, how many of you are here who who know Katya Jew? Okay. So almost two years ago, she graduated from BC. She was here at at Cornerstone. And I remember when we met and she, I mean, we'd been talking. She went through the gifts and calling class, so we were doing coaching. And, And I remember when we met and she says, well, I've decided what I'm going to do next year. Now, I knew that she had shared previously. Her parents wanted her to come back home and run the clothing business that they owned. And she said, well, I've decided what I'm going to do. And I said, what's that? And she says, I'm going to go to Thailand and work with victims of sexual trafficking. And I wasn't even her dad. And I looked at this young woman, and I thought, is she going to be safe in a country where sexual trafficking is just so rampant? But she wasn't afraid. And she's been since then in Thailand, in the ministry there, helping women. And and we get monthly reports from her of the things that she's watching God do. Again, in the words of Gary Haugen, if you're wrestling with some sort of a decision, reflect for a moment and ask yourself, am I being brave or am I being safe? In the end, it depends on whether we think God can be trusted. A bold faith will not shy from going wherever God wants us to be. When our fears can't hold us back, when we walk by faith and not by fears, nothing can keep us from accomplishing the plans that God has for us. All right, verses 29 to 35, two more sections. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry ground, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And this is where he goes, he's listed all 17 people up till now. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, listen, through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, means to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Bold faith accomplishes great things. Bold faith doesn't aim low. Bold faith aims and accomplishes great things. Enforcing justice, finding strength out of weakness. Bold faith accomplishes great things because, once again, we were not made. We were not created for safety. We were created for glory and to do great and glorious things for our gods. Gary Hagen writes, when our grandchildren ask us where we were when the voiceless and the vulnerable in our era needed leaders of compassion and purpose, I hope we can say that we showed up and that we showed up on time. When our grandkids ask us, what did you do about the Syrian refugees? I hope we're going to be able to say that we showed up, and we showed up on time. What great and glorious things does God want your faith to accomplish. Last four verses, verses 35 35 to 39. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. All of a sudden, this starting to not look that great. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Ouch. There's no promise that this life of faith is going to be a walk in the park. There's no promise it's going to be comfortable and easy and delightful all of the time. God doesn't promise that he'll make it easy, but he does promise he'll make it significant. And here's what impresses me about the last verses of Hebrews chapter 11. In spite of this high cost, bold faith never, ever gives up. Bold faith cannot be broken. Bold faith perseveres no matter how high the cost because it knows that God is calling these things out of us. the Apostle Paul says in 1 John 5, 4, everyone who has been born of God, no one is excluded, right? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, Since we have such hope, we are very, very bold. So the last quote from Gary Haugen. In different times and in different ways, our Heavenly Father offers us a simple proposition. Follow me beyond what you can control, beyond where your own strength and competencies can take you, and beyond what is affirmed or risked by the crowd. And you will experience me, God says. You will experience me and my power and my wisdom and my love. It will be a tragedy if we see Jesus Christ face to face. And we were on the trip, but we missed the adventure. So um, Charles Blondin lived 1824, died 1897. He was a trapeze artist who was at the height of his fame during World War II. I'm sorry, during the Civil War. (laughs) He was dead by World War II. What he did, he stretched a a rope that was three and a quarter inches um, wide, okay? Stretched it 1,600 feet, let me check this, 1,100 feet across the Niagara Gorge. And he walked across that rope. First time he did it was in 1859. And then he decided that that was so easy, he'd do it again, and again, and again, and again. And he kept upping the ante as he would go across Niagara Falls. So he did it um, with it blindfolded at one point. He did it in a sack all the way around him. He did it on stilts. He carried a man on his back. He sat down midway through um, uh, across the falls, sat down, cooked and ate an omelet. Another point, he, he took a chair out with him and put the chair on one leg and climbed up on the chair. He did it with riding a bicycle and he did it pushing a wheelbarrow. The story is told that when the day, day came for the great Blondin to push the wheelbarrow across on the, the tightrope, the crowd was all gathered and he said to them all, he said, who believes that I can do this? And the story is that it was pretty quiet but one person said, I believe the great Blondin can do it. And Blondin said to him, then get in. I picture God asking if we really believe he can do this thing, and if so, get in. It's time for us to to set aside the, the safety that we've been raised to somehow value too much. It's time for us to Get rid of the excuses to stop calculating the chances of success. No more rationalizations. No more stalling. It's time. If we believe that God wants to do this and will do this, it's time for us to get in and join the great and glorious work that God has in your generation and in every single one of our lives. Let's pray. Father, the easy thing to do is to nod and agree and then do nothing. The easy thing for us to do is to admire those of great faith who have gone before us and to admire people like Katya and Brandon but still knew nothing. Would you call us by the power of your word, by your spirit at work within us, call us to bold faith, to boldly follow Jesus beyond our comfort zones. I don't know what that means for individuals in this room, but I have a feeling that each one of us, if we'll just listen, we'll hear your voice challenging us to biblical faith whereby we will be commended by you. I pray, Father, that when we see you face to face, that each of us will receive the reward of having lived a bold faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.